Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Steffenhagen. I'm Steph Spencer. And I'm Lisa Adams. We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious, doubters, and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions, questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt, questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to Searching the Sacred. We're excited to be diving into a new season. This is season six for those keeping track. And for those that are new, that just means you have a lot to go back and listen to. And we invite you to do all of it or none of it and just pick up right here. Either way, we're excited about you joining us today where we are diving into a season that is not going to be like the last one or the one before where we journeyed 12 episodes through the book of Ruth. This season is going to be a bunch of random stuff that hopefully will be really interesting and really fun. And so with that, we're going to be diving into the Proverbs for the first time. So Lisa, why don't you get us started with Proverbs chapter eight? Okay, I am going to read from the Inclusive Bible. Um, mostly because sometimes it's helpful to mix it up a little bit where you're reading from. So Proverbs 8, starting at verse 22. The Lord gave birth to me at the beginning, before the first acts of creation. I have been from everlasting in the beginning, before the world began. Before the deep seas, I was brought forth. Before there were fountains or springs of water, before the mountains erupted up into place, before the hills, I was born. Before God created the earth or its fields, or even the first clouds of dirt, I was there when the Almighty created the heavens and set the horizon just above the ocean, set the clouds in the sky and established the springs of the deep, gave the seas their boundaries and set their limits at the shoreline. When the foundation of the earth was laid out, I was the skilled artisan standing next to the Almighty. I was God's delight day after day, rejoicing at being in God's presence continually. Rejoicing in the whole world and delighting in humankind. Okay. Jason just shook his head. I'm curious what the head shake was to start with. It was just beautiful. I, I mean, sometimes, sometimes scripture is like a good story, or it's a list of things, or it's super boring. Or it feels like it's just not artfully crafted. That that was like, I don't know, I just felt like really beautiful poetry. Like I, I kind of got lost in it. Now that part of that's the translation that was read. I mean, that, let's be, let's give credit where credit is really due here. It's not, we're not reading the original Hebrew. Um, we're reading a translation, which just really beautifully captured that passage in a really poetic way that I just, I just found really really nice. Mm -hmm. I was struck by the fact that I know what this chapter is about. So I know who was talking, but I was curious on a podcast. We didn't say what Proverbs eight is about. Lisa just started reading and I thought, Oh, I wonder what listeners are thinking this is about. Like if you just hear that of the been around since the foundations of the world, all of that, and don't hear who the subject is, who or what would we think that is? Jesus. <laughs> like, I just was really struck by the, like, the last couple of sentences. <laughs> I was like, oh, it kind of, like, there was just something about the delight and God delighting in, I don't know, like, all of humankind. And I don't know if just felt very opposite of what the world kind of feels like sometimes it just felt really lovely mm -hmm. very inclusive all of the inclusive bible mm -hmm. yeah like like we don't think of god delighting in humanity <laughs> very often a lot of us depending on our religious tradition think of god as 
maybe having a different energy than delighting in humanity. And this talks about God delighting in humanity, which is a lovely closure to this. So I was, I mean, when I, Lisa, you kind of said, oh, Jesus, but, I, but I was actually really thinking like, oh, the parallel. Wait, wait, how was that again? <laughs> I did, I did, for I did, anyone I did, that I wasn't, roll, I roll for, all of you, for all of you listening to the podcast, what you missed <laughs> was a really funny eye roll head shake a la, you know, mean girls or something. Uh, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> well, that's what I heard or saw when Lisa said Jesus. I was imitating Lisa, the mean girl. Had not Bad seen. imitation. No. <laughs> but but it is true. Like sometimes we overly see Jesus in in the Hebrew scriptures, or like it, like we sometimes look. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Overly see it, but but this is a place where it was really apparent to me how much Paul is using Proverbs 8 in his descriptions of who Jesus is, because it was really obvious to me when I heard this, how much parallel language there is between Proverbs 8 and Colossians, between Proverbs 8 and some of the things about creation and Romans. And it really highlights to me the importance of being familiar with the Hebrew scriptures before we read Paul, because Paul is clearly using some of this language of Proverbs 8 um, to describe Jesus. And Proverbs 8 itself is describing wisdom. And we can wonder about the parallels um, uh, uh, between that. Um, and we can also just think about what wisdom is. So we learned that in verse 1. So in verse 1 of Proverbs 8, it just, well, I kind of want to hear the inclusive Bible's version of Proverbs 8 verse 1, Lisa. That's how we find out it's wisdom talking. Verse 1 is, doesn't wisdom call? Doesn't understanding raise her voice that she takes her stand at the utmost height so it's personifying wisdom as female mm -hmm. and then in verse 12 um is where we hear that she is then starting to talk i wisdom dwell with prudence and so um we hear that throughout the chapter that it's wisdom talking in verse 22 through 31 that we read so maybe we start with thinking about wisdom as female and why that is or how that feels. The word in Hebrew is chokhmah, which is from chacham, to be wise or to, to act shrewdly. Before I get to like the gendering of, of wisdom, I actually think that I'm just more kind of struck with the idea of wisdom being personified. Mm -hmm. That like wisdom as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, it just feels like for me, when I think about wisdom, it's something you either have or don't have. And mm -hmm. it's an internal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great starting point. Like gender aside, thinking of wisdom as a created entity that is being personified in this passage. Is that how we usually think about wisdom in the modern Western world? No, and we if, think of wisdom as like an inherent knowledge that is in a person as opposed to something you're partnering with. You know, mm -hmm. when I think of it being personified, I think of there's an invitation then to partner with wisdom, to fight wisdom, to go against wisdom. Like you can go against an entity. You, It's hard to go against yourself. And it's really hard to, if you think yourself wise, it's really hard to find out that you're not because you're talking about your identity. If you see wisdom as something that you're either walking alongside or walking with or partnering with, it's also easy to see then when you've when they've stayed on the path of wisdom and you're heading down the path of something else to realize, oh, I'm no longer partnering with wisdom. Like it's not in me, it's something that I partner with and that's on that path and I'm on this path. It's a little less critical of my identity, even though it is critical, it's saying, hey, come walk over here. And it's a lot easier for me to come walk over here than it is for, for you to say, you need to fully change who you are. Mm -hmm. um, it feels a little bit more behavioral than it is identity, which I, I appreciate. Well, that also makes it feel then like it's um, like visible, which mm -hmm. then means you know what it is. And sometimes like trying to discern who the wise person in the room is, isn't always easy. Mm -hmm. Or like to discern what wisdom is, what makes something wise, feels like more of a guess than like, oh, that's wisdom. I see it. I recognize it. I know what it is. 
um, that feels well, like a, Yeah, it's more like exploring like what does wisdom value? Because if we're, if, we're, if we're personifying wisdom, each person has certain values they live by, right? Now, you could say that one definition of wisdom is that it values peace and harmony and it values joy, it values uh, knowledge, it values uh, discretion, it values humility, like it values... It, but you could also say in other areas of life that the wise thing is to value monopolizing or greed, or it's wise to uh, to be exclusive. You know, like that's a it, it's prudent, right? To do those, like it 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 creates longevity for me and those like me. And so that seems like wisdom. Um, but are the values truly what undergird the the wise or or wisdom itself? Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe in the personification of it, then it's helping us, it's teaching us what wisdom looks like. Mm-hmm. That maybe part of why we have a hard time discerning wisdom is because we've lost track in our world about what wisdom looks like. And in this personification, it's it's informing us, look for this. Look for, look for something that looks like something that's been around since the creation of the world. Look like, look for something that delights in humanity. Like some of the things in here, what if this is helping us see what wisdom looks like so that we can recognize wisdom when we come across her? There's a, it reminds me of Deuteronomy 30, um, which uh, Proverbs is coming after um, the Torah. And so there's a way we can assume that in Proverbs, they're also kind of uh, keying back to the story that's come before. But Deuteronomy 30, many people are familiar with different language of it, of like, I've put before you today life and death, blessings and curses, choose life that you may live. So it has this energy of you can choose it. And and Moses says in that passage, it's not too hard for you. You actually do have the capacity to choose the path of life. Do that. Um, it's here for you. It's it's next to you. It's in you. It's and And that feels a little bit like what we're talking about here. If there's a path, look at that path of life and choose that path of life. Walk with wisdom down that path of life. To me, that feels, I've actually, um, it feels really freeing for me to think of wisdom as being outside of myself instead of inside of myself. Um, Like you named it something you can interact with or go against or move with. I think of it as like, oh, then I don't have to like, I don't have to make it up. I don't have to like find it. There's something about not having to find it in me that feels really freeing in a way. I'm hoping we'll keep exploring in this conversation, but it feels, it makes it feel more attainable, I guess. To that Deuteronomy language. So let's think about the personification that's here, starting in verse 22 that Lisa read. Wisdom being created at the beginning. Well, can we go back to the gender piece? Yeah. Oh, we yeah. Dive in? And I'm not going to say anything. So at least not yet. I'm going to let you two have the floor, of course. And I'm not giving you permission to have the floor. Wow. Potentially stepping in all the patriarchy. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Um, oh, good. I, I think one of the things that I feel like I'm noticing is, um, if I pull in that wisdom is, is given, a like is, has female pronouns specifically in the text. Um, we don't always, we don't always pay attention to that, like, but that, that has that then it also feels like this is a female voice that, that is celebrating their space in the world, who they are in the world. But I just quickly try to think of things. I'm like, I don't know that there's a ton of female voices that are really self-celebrating <laughs> mm. in the text. And so it, it's worth pausing on. Um, there's something about the freedom of this female wisdom to speak who she is without Like from the apology without being given permission to speak. Just, just all of it. Like she's just she's there and fully mm-hmm. herself. And in herself, she is fully celebrating. Like she's like this is all noticing how God's delighting in all the things. I like I just feels like a lovely voice that I don't necessarily I haven't really thought about it that way before. Mm-hmm. I I'm get curious about how how this is true across time and space. Like, what is it in the ancient world? Because wisdom, so I'm, wisdom in Hebrew is chokhmah. Wisdom in Greek is Sophia, which is also a female 
wisdom. And so I'm curious about in the ancient world where patriarchy is rampant, what about both the Hebrew culture and the Greek culture attributed female pronouns to wisdom? Because that seems interesting that in both places it's being attributed or being connected to female pronouns when it's such a masculine oriented society. Um, what was being recognized or seen or affirmed there and why? This is potentially a rabbit trail, but I was like debating throwing it in there and I feel like I'm open it up. <clears throat> that one of the ways of understanding why um, idol worship was so rampant in the Hebrew scriptures is because of actually gender and understanding of humanity and looking for God in humanity. That that one of the ways to reconcile a male pronouned God was to pair that God with a female God so that mm -hmm. there's a male and female God together ruling. So they the tendency was actually like the Asherah pole, I believe, was a was a female deity. And that's the one they tend to struggle with the most. And they they believe that it's because it was pairing the Asherah pole female with the Hebrew God male in their understanding of those two, because it needed to have a multiplicity of gender present. And so wisdom is perhaps another way to create that multiplicity of gender. Um, if you're thinking of God as male, which of course, in other podcasts, we've talked about the fact that God doesn't need to be a male here. This name of God doesn't have to be only male. It is, it's a verb. It encompasses, encompasses multiple genders. Um, and it could be a way of understanding what's happening with the female is to assert, to make sure that multiple genders are present in deity. Hmm. And Lisa, what's your push? Your, your facial expression had an, uh, an also. Or a... I don't know. Well, I was thinking about, cause like the spirit is also feminine. And so I more closely relate the spirit to God than I do wisdom. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it, like it kind of, I don't know, like, then I was thinking about like, oh, it's interesting that like, with, I'm going to try to stop saying like so much. Um, I listened to myself last time and it was so much. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Keeping spirit, that in. Perfect. Keep going. The spirit, the spirit ends up residing in us, mm -hmm. right? With Pentecost and different things that happen. like there is a, there's a way that spirit comes inside, but that's not what is really talked about with wisdom. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm just, so then I was just kind of pondering, like, what's the, dis, what's the difference in there? What, what might that, why might that be? But also that that's too feminine. Active, mm -hmm. Like we just don't set that up very mm -hmm. well. Yeah. So that, that, you know, in Genesis 1-1, Ruach is uh, the spirit of God is compared to a mama bird, like the verb being used for it is a mama bird. So there's this feminine imagery of the spirit of God from Genesis 1 verse 2. Um, and so that's one way to attribute to the feminine there. And then there's also this feminine here. And is this talking about God? Is this talking about something other than God? And maybe we can wrestle with that with the, with the verb that's in verse 22. Well, God births wisdom. Okay. Which is all, is it, well. So verse 22. Birthing. Yeah. So the verse, the verb in verse 22, what is, what is the translation you read say? The Lord did what? Created? Mine says gave birth. Okay. The word is kana, which means to acquire. Interesting. Or originate or possess, which can then also mean to create because it's a part of how Cain gets Cain's name in Genesis four, because the woman Eve gives birth and says, oh, I've acquired a man, Cana, <laughs> and names him Cain. And so there's this wrestle inside the word of, is it to possess? Is it to acquire? Is it to create it? But it has more of the energy of possess or acquire. So then, it, then that's an interesting thing. If it's the Lord is acquiring, the living presence is acquiring wisdom at the beginning. Oh, the Hebrew language is so fun. It just leaves so much room to dance and wrestle. Sounds like we should do a 40 orchard study. <laughs> Goodness. There's so many questions in that, right? 
Because if wisdom is this personification of this entity that is in a way partnering with God and, and is meant to walk alongside humanity, that sounds almost divine, right? Like it's a part of like a Trinitarian type, you know, this is maybe the spirit being or Christ, right? This is like Christ is wisdom or the spirit is wisdom. And yet we, we would, would, Christian tradition would hold that Christ wasn't born. Spirit wasn't born. Wasn't, didn't, you know, it's, it's all part of God that's always existed. And so this idea of like possessing or acquiring then leads to like a question of okay did god not have this at some point like did did god evolve into wisdom like because that would make a lot of people uncomfortable uh not everyone but some mm-hmm. it's, yeah ooh. way to go writer of proverbs 8 well, and the the language, I'm just going to translate a little word for word so we can kind of think about how it's going together with everything. So the first word is that name of God um, that we we use the term living presence or I am what I am. I will be what I will be. This is the name of God that generally um, the Jewish people don't say out loud. It's it's a part of the tradition to respect this name by not saying this name. Um, but it's very specifically then that name of God, so that name of God, the living presence, Kana, me, meaning wisdom, at the beginning or head, so the book of Genesis, Bereshit, in the beginning, Reshit, so at the beginning of his journey, walk, direct, to the east of His works of old. So the word for before, my translation says before, is specifically this word, it's it's kadem or kadma, the to the east of. So the e- east means beginning. Why? Is this a Genesis 3 thing where they were moved <laughs> from the garden and they were sent out east of Eden? Well, it's one of the ways to interpret East. What happens in the East every day, no matter where in the world you are? The sun rises in the East. The sun rises in the East. So being sent to the East is actually a sign of a new beginning. Um, So that does affect how we interpret Genesis 3, because the sun rises in the East. So everything starts in the East. Everything starts again in the East. The further East you go, the further back to the beginning you go. I never even thought about that with Genesis chapter three. My mind just like blew up. So thank you for that. <laughs> so the Lord cannot wisdom at the beginning of his way, his path, his journey to the east of further back from the works of old. So if it's further east than the works of old, what's being said about wisdom? It's like really old. <laughs> And which is kind of then what it continues. And when we talk about the poetic language, verse 23, I was set up from everlasting from, from the beginning before the earth ever was. So there's a way of saying this acquiring of wisdom or creation of wisdom, however we want to interpret this word, kana, happens before anything else happens. This is before the earth is made that this is happening. So when it says there were no deeps, when we think back to Genesis one and the spirit is hovering over the deep, like that means. So before all of that was happening, that's what this language is saying before all of that wisdom was, and God acquired, created, gave birth to possessed, bought actually is another wisdom. I think there's something so beautiful about that because so much of our earthly existence and kind of the evolutionary journey that we've been on, especially when you think of things like the the modern realization of global warming and just so much of the tragedy that we see around the world and 
just so much problem, problem, problem with creation and with the earth and with humanity and, and all these things. The Bible does a beautiful job or the Hebrew scriptures do a beautiful job of seeing creation as good, right? It's tove, it's tove, it's tove, it's, you know, extremely tove, it's tove of tove, right? And, and yet now we hear in Proverbs, this idea that not only was it tove, 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 tove it was also wise, right? Like there was wisdom behind it. So like, I, I think that's such a, it's such a beautiful pairing of like the goodness of creation alongside like the wisdom in which creation was made. Like, mm -hmm. like this thing is supposed to hum. It's supposed to flow in a really beautiful way because it's good. Right. Like it's, I don't know. There's such an intention. It feels like, I don't know. I just think that's well, a cool pairing. It reminds me of, of like indigenous wisdom and how like we tend to think in that the world is getting smarter and smarter like as with the more technology comes more intelligence is a way that we tend to think about the evolution of things and yet with that more intelligence science has then gone back and like validated things like homeopathic remedies that were a part of indigenous cultures hundreds of years ago that there was a wisdom that they had access to before the science that we have now that was true and was good and was like, and it can be scientifically validated now as you look back, not everything, but many things are being like, right. So there's like a wisdom that was there that is there that has been there that is still there if we're paying attention to it. I love that. I love that. I think that's such an accurate and beautiful expression yeah it's good well it's where like like part of why i like studying the bible is i like i like wondering about what wisdom has been there for a long time that we just have to look for like that we're not smarter we're not as smart as we think we are seems like a good place to start for a lot of things yeah so I, I think that maybe what's also helpful is if we look at there's there's a few different verbs being used for the relationship between the living presence and this wisdom. So we talked about kana, possess or acquire, but then verse 23 is I was set up from the beginning or uh, from everlasting, from eternity. Does it, what did yours say in verse 23, Lisa? Did it say set up or, well, one, one or fashioned? Brought forth. So verse 23 is, I was poured out, I was offered, I was installed. Um, so it's especially to like pour out a, a drink, like into a cup, nasak, um, or to cast metal, or to anoint a king. Um, so it's like to melt, to pour, it, it's that. So I was poured out from eternity, um, from the beginning. Um, before the earth ever was. And then the next verse is before when there were no depths, I was brought forth. And there the brought forth is hul, which is uh, writhe or tremble or um, wait longingly. And it's a word used for women in labor. So that's where we have the verb coming into play of, of being given birth. So just to those three verses have these three different verbs. That's what I want to think about is the Lord Kanami possessed, acquired me. I was poured out from eternity. And when there were no depths, I was brought forth. I was given birth to, I was birthed. I was labored into being. And then that one's repeated in verse 25 as well, that given birth brought forth why use those three different verbs why not just say before the earth was i was i don't have an answer to that by the way i'm just as curious <laughs> like what what's in the different what what's in all three of those energies that they would be paired like 
we often what were, what were the three energies again birthing the first one birth. was possessing uh right, or acquiring yep and then the second one is um nasak which is to pour out or to melt or to anoint that that energy yep. of pouring um and then the third one which is in verse 24 and 25 is the being brought forth and being fraught, brought forth like painfully, it has the energy, the verb has the energy of laboring in it, of like labor pains. We often talk about the creation story, Genesis 1, in comparison or in light of how we create, how things are created. Like there's a way that we connect to the story of that creation is messy and it's hard mm-hmm. and you got to make space and things kind of come forth. Mm-hmm. And this feels, um, maybe this is actually the way that wisdom appears for all of us. It's not as simple. We might have to labor for it. We, mm-hmm. there's a way God has always had it or acquired it. Maybe that means that we can too. Mm-hmm but you got to be ready to pour it out. Maybe it's not for us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you can play with those yeah. actions a little bit. I like mm-hmm. that. I mean, that, uh, that poured out or it's almost like a, the anointing is going on to something else and it's like re- releasing power. Cause I think we often equate wisdom and power pretty closely and I, I think maybe in the pouring out or the anointing, there's a there's a way of saying like wisdom's not about acquiring power. It's actually about anointing and giving of itself. Like that's actually what's truly wise, not to hoard. Um and and I, yeah, I think Lisa, you nailed it with that, like the laboring part, like this is gonna be difficult. Like mm-hmm to walk this path, right? I mean, so if we go back to that personification or that trajectory language of walking with wisdom or moving with wisdom, like don't think that just because you're walking with wisdom, it's going to be easy. (laughs) Like it actually might be the road less traveled, right? The one that's harder to go on because it's, it's just harder, right? It's harder to, to go this direction. It's a lot easier to be self-preservationist than it is to be self-sacrificial. Hmm. that's a good that's a good uh quote say that again it's easier to be it's easier to be self-preservationist than it is to be self-sacrificial in wisdom wisdom from the beginning has this energy of pouring out of offering itself so if we're living if we're walking with wisdom how is that asking us to also pour ourselves out and it feels a little bit like a progression right like it's a you got to possess this or acquire it. You got to take it on. It's got to become a part of you. You got to partner with it. And then when you do that, you got to, you got to, you got to recognize that you're going to pour it out, not just use it for your own power. And that when you do that, that's going to be really hard. It's it's going to be a labor. It's going to be uh, messy and chaotic and challenging. And, and yet if we're using that laboring language, you know, taking it to the next step of not only being hard and chaotic and difficult, but also bringing forth life like what does laboring do it doesn't just labor for the sake of laboring it labors so that life can come forth and there's now more right there's there's a a, the produce of laboring is new life i mean that's that's the that's the goal here it's also as you said the difference between like self-sacrifice and what else do we self-preservation self-preservation What's interesting, I don't know that it's self-sacrifice as much as it is sacrifice on sure. behalf of others. Because I think that's part of the dance is self-preservation. I know what to do. I know how to take care of me. I know what to do to protect myself. I know what I want. I know, like, there's a way that I just know how to do that. Mm-hmm. If I am looking at what it looks like um, to sacrifice on behalf of others, what does that require of me? That's a much more loaded question of where I think it's how in some ways I get stuck. (laughs) I don't know what the next right step is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do or not do or give up or show up for or or not show up for. Is it? It's just a much bigger wrestle. 
mm. to know how to do sacrifice well. Mm. Okay. I you're love that you're asking that question. <laughs> and I got really excited for all those that can't see my face, which is everybody, but these two, um, I was listening to a pod, an old podcast that Richard Rohr did and they were talking about evangelism and what's the whole point of it and should we still do it and how should it look? And there was this idea proposed about, well, what we should really do is go serve, 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 and, you know, sacrifice ourselves and, and help others. And that idea was kind of proposed to Richard Rohr. Like, what do you think? And he said, I love the mentality of service versus like trying to convert people, but you can't do service without solidarity. You have to have solidarity. Otherwise you're the one in power bringing something to those in need. And that's not a healthy way of doing relationship with anyone from a power dominant position to a lowly need position. Instead, if you create solidarity with people, then the ways to serve one another naturally arise out of your solidarity with each other. So, and I just thought that that reframe of what's the goal of being connected to other people, the goal of being in solidarity versus the goal of serving or converting was so unique. Uh, it's not how I was taught to do like missions trips or go to evangelism was to create solidarity. And what I hear you saying, Lisa, is that sacrifice is challenging because it's like, I don't really know what to do. But I think that's partly because we haven't developed that solidarity to know what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and what if it's not ours to sacrifice, but we're going to be blessed by someone else's sacrifice or service? Like, what if that's what is actually called for in that moment? Like, can we receive that from someone else, even if we don't expect it? I mean, there's such, that's such a I really thought that reframe was helpful. It's really helpful. You can't have service without solidarity. Was that? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, and I feel like that really gels well with where we're going because we're talking about wisdom being personified and coming alongside and, and essentially being in solidarity with God. But then also that solidarity is with humanity, right? The delighting in humanity is a sense of like moving towards humanity and there's a solidarity. I mean, and obviously we see Christ as the ultimate solidarity with humanity, becoming human and taking on flesh and doing life among us. And so that solidarity leads to the sacrifice or the service of the cross and the resurrection. Anyway, now I'm preaching, so I'll stop. You know, I would just add that what is like even solidarity with creation. Mm -hmm. Right. This, this Proverbs in particular is heavy on the creation description. Mm. What, what I've been thinking about, about that. that. Sorry. Steph, no, go ahead. Well, because there's often, um, I've been sort of fascinated for a while with this question of Genesis one twenty seven, and um, let us make humans in our image because Christians for a long time have made that about a Trinitarian theology, but ancient people, ancient Hebrew people wouldn't have a Trinitarian theology. So how would they understand the us? has been my question. Like what's the interpretations of us? One of the interpretations is that it's angels um, and it's God and angels making humans in their image. Another interpretation from um, now, I can't remember the ancient rabbi's name. Maomidas, was that who it was Lisa? Um, has it God in creation is the us that now that all of creation has been made, God and creation can together make humanity. According to Proverbs eight, wisdom is also there. And so now I'm thinking about what if wisdom is a part of the us of Genesis 1:27. God is saying to wisdom, maybe wisdom and creation, let us make humans in our image. And that's maybe where the wisdom is becoming internal, not just external, but it's both. Like what is it to be made in the image of the wisdom that existed before the foundations of the earth and to be made in the image of the earth that's been made and to be made in the image of God. And what does that mean for humanity for made in all of that image? I mean, that, that could be a really beautiful way of trying to understand. I think it's what first Corinthians 15, 13, where it says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ himself would not have been raised from the dead. And so it's like, death and resurrection are baked into all of creation and Christ is the 
like perfect example of that. Um, and, but that is the rhythm. That is the pattern. That is the way, uh, that is the, that, that is the way that it's supposed to work. And we see creation humming along if the death and resurrection pattern and us Minnesotans can get it more than others because we see it all the time. Um, but there is a death and resurrection pattern that we can see within creation. And, and we so very little want to attribute that to our own lives or to our own relationships or our own existence. Um, because we just have this image of like longing for heaven one day. Um, and so resurrection gets put off and put off and put off as opposed to something we can experience right now. And so um, if we are made in the, the image of God in partnership with uh, creation and wisdom, the spirit that hovers over it all, bringing order to the chaos, like if all of that is baked into what it means to be human, um, that's a really beautiful thing. It makes me think about how often in scripture circles, we have to work to get people to trust their seeing Mm. that we don't actually tend to think of ourselves as wise. We tend to think of ourselves as, Oh no, I read that someplace else, or that's not mine or that's like, it can be actually really hard to affirm people and say like, that was wise. Would you please, thank you for bringing that. Would you say that again? can actually be hard work because we don't think of ourselves as having enough or having um, that. Yeah. We don't think of ourselves as being created in the image of wisdom. We think of ourselves as being created in the image of deficit. Not everybody though. Cause there's yeah. some people who definitely think they were and they got the wise. <laughs> That's also the tension. Maybe some people really <laughs> think they were made in the image of wisdom. <laughs> It also feels like if I think about wisdom being there before all of it, before, I mean, the ultimate question it feels like that Genesis is answering is why we are created, like the the why. But it also feels, um, it might be alluding to wisdom not being enough. Like wisdom was always there and that wasn't enough. It's not enough to be wise and to just (laughs) wisdom needs to do something or be a part of something or God wants to use wisdom differently. God didn't want to just sit there and be wise. Mm -hmm. Didn't just have the spirit hovering. I don't know. It feels there's a very intentional like inserting wisdom into the human experience because it's being personified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like Jesus talking about knowing the tree by its fruit. That mm-hmm. like the there is this trajectory of saying it's not just about what you know, it's about how you're using what you know. It's about mm-hmm. what you're doing with it, where you're going with it, what kind of fruit your life is showing from what you know and and that that's what makes it wisdom mm-hmm. instead of just smarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about action is is necessary there has to be something that comes forth from whatever you hold right whatever you believe whatever you think whatever you uh whatever wisdom is in you or that you are that you are partnering with whatever you however you're defining it whatever you're partnering with it there's got to be something that comes from that um and and like you said it will be judged by its fruit not just by what the background belief is right what the value that you had what was you know intentions are one thing but what was actually done um yeah as so to be like a little autobiographical like one of the challenges of being on a more evolving faith journey um from a kind of more conservative you know place of faith to uh 
one that is willing to wrestle and willing to ask a lot of questions and to be, I don't know, open to new ideas or ideas that are different from the way I grew up. Um, it's, it's been really important to, to, to fall back on like, okay, what's the fruit that's coming from my life, both so that I can evaluate it, but also so that those that love me and are worried about me can also have something to evaluate to in a way determine like, okay, have I gone off the deep end here or am I, is there maybe something to what we're talking about? Um, that's really vague um, commentary. So maybe we cut that out, but. <laughs> no, well, I think it's, um, what I was looking at is like wisdom in terms of how it's been used before this point, one of the places that it's repeated is in the building of the tabernacle and that those who are constructing the tabernacle have the spirit of wisdom. And the spirit of wisdom is about the skill that they are using to build the thing that God asked them to build. So there's an action. There's a, there's a something to it beyond just like we, we just think of wisdom as such a thinking. It's about thinking. It's about how much we know and to keep moving it to this place. It's about what it's, what we're doing with what we know, how it's helping others, how it's, how it's bearing fruit in the world that that, that is different than certainty. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? Wisdom isn't about knowing all these things. It's about doing something. Doing something is going to not always have all the right answers, but it's going to be moving in the direction of something, um, which feels different than, I think that's connects to what you were saying about your. Yeah, well, what I love about that is that I think I get so caught up in the words like understanding and knowledge being connected to wisdom. And I get caught up in those because I grew up in a Western, you know, modern situation where knowledge and understanding were tied to academia and were tied to book smarts. And like being a farmer that understands soils and the rhythms of creation were not something that were considered like great knowledge or understanding, right? And uh, whereas like, I would imagine that in, in ancient Near Eastern times, we're not talking about just going to the academy or going to the place of higher ed and getting a degree. We're talking about the wisdom to follow through on an instruction, the the knowledge and the understanding of what's ultimately trying to be built, the knowledge and understanding of the flow of the seasons and the rain and the soil and how it feels and and what to plant when. And, and there's this kind of almost an intuition that's built into it. There's like a, it's like a knowledge beyond knowledge um, that is that you're tapping into. And I feel like we don't trust that very well. It's almost goes back to what you said about when people offer really brilliant things, but they don't think they're brilliant. Like that doesn't just come from your head. It comes from your gut sometimes. Right. It's like a, I didn't even know I had that in me, like, but it came out and it, I put it into words somehow um, because it's a, it's true beyond true. It's just part of me. Right. Like that's knowledge. That's, that's a, uh, that's understanding in a really deep way that we don't often in our modern world have place for. It's, it's a wisdom that is embodied. Maybe that's a part mm. of, maybe that's a part of going back to this being a personified being here is that wisdom, we, we attach it very much to the brain. Um, and if it's personified as a whole human here or personified as a being that's more than the brain that has an intuition to it that's that's deeper that's both inside of us and outside of us in some way because it's being poured out everywhere and it seems to be in a it's in us and outside of us in some way and the action, I love that the action it's doing, like mo a lot of this is talking about how the Lord is possessing wisdom or the, or, or bringing forth wisdom and, or before things were there, I was there as wisdom talking, but the action, the main action that wisdom takes in these verses that we read is the rejoicing action, um, which feels really, um, I don't think of wisdom as being an action of rejoicing. 
and laughing. Um, would you read verse 31, 30 and 31 again, Lisa, in the translation you read? Um, I was the skilled artisan standing next to the Almighty. I was God's delight day after day, rejoicing at beginning in God's presence continually, rejoicing in the whole world and delighting in humankind. I feel. Do yeah. you have a thought you're going to go on? <laughs> no, go. Well, I was thinking about with um, working with folks who are incarcerated. It is oftentimes. I think people have a mixed, there's a mixed reaction for people because some people are like, oh, that's so great. I could never do that. And other people are like, why are you wasting your time doing that? Mm. Um, and so like, it does not match up to, to what we would talk about with wisdom. <laughs> Most people wouldn't say, oh, that's really wise. Oh, really wise. Um, you're making, you know, like, there's a way that it's just not. And I think it is. <laughs> I think for me, it's how I actually embody wisdom. Mm. If I'm paying attention to what I'm wrestling with, if I'm paying attention to what's in the text that I'm pulling out, it is the spaces for me that have the most. Um, revealing it feels like God's presence there it is laughter is a necessary part delighting in people who sometimes have a hard time seeing who haven't had anybody delight in them before is a really interesting space and so it there's an interesting tension of what maybe we all just get a piece of wisdom we don't get the whole thing. We just, we get a piece. It's it's just a part of the whole, it needs all of us. All of us have to take the piece of wisdom that we have access to and embody it. Then maybe, I mean, can you imagine thinking that God actually delights in all of humanity right now? That's just giddy about everybody right now, right where you are, no matter like giddy. And the word, and the word, the word for the rejoicing here is the word for it's sahak, where it's the name, it's where the name Isaac comes from. It's laughter and playing. And so it's almost this picture of God, of the living presence and wisdom laughing and playing together as they delight in humanity. Like that it's that kind of delight. It's like a childish delight. It's, it's a, which, which I think I connect to what you're saying, Lisa, of like, there's a, there's an ability, there's an ability for that kind of delight to be wasteful. I can't think of a better word than that. Let me elaborate on wasteful. Like it does not matter whether the outcome of your work is that you have, you like that people are released back into society to do work because we're always focused on creating more workers in our society. So people would say, well, it's a waste of time if it's not creating more good workers, where this kind of delight is like, oh, it's delighting in the human themselves. It's delighting in the moment itself. It doesn't have to lead anywhere. There's a, that, that childish laughing kind of joy is just delighting in what is without it having to be productive. I think there's such a beauty to that. And in so many instances, because if you're saying that in every moment there's a delight, there's a part of me that's like, oh man, that's so cool. Like that God delights when I make breakfast for the boys. Like God delights when I, you know, take out the trash or I sit down to write a sermon or God delights, you know, in so many mundane and beautiful moments of, but, but then there's these moments where it's like, yeah, but when I'm yelling at my kids, like, is God, is God having to like reframe it? Like, look at his passion for justice in the household. <laughs> like, I mean, if someone's like in the act of committing a murder out of like venge vengeance, like how does, is like God spinning that to like find delight? Like I, there's like, there's so many areas of the world that I don't think could possibly be delighted in. And so I'm wondering like, okay, I don't, 
I love it to some degree, but then I'm frustrated by it to another degree. Well, let's look more specifically at what it's saying in 30 and 31. So wisdom is by the Lord. I So I, whenever it's I, it's wisdom. I was by him, uh, a companion, a skilled worker. I was daily delight, the delight of God. Um, laughing always with him. And then there's this energy of we were rejoicing or laughing in in the conducting of the world, in the conducting, in the in the way that the world is carrying on, in the way that humans are carrying on. Um, and my delights are with those with humanity, um, which has that energy of it doesn't have to be then every moment. Like there's a general energy of rejoicing in humanity and the conduct of humanity and how the earth is running itself and they're laughing about it that doesn't have to mean every individual at every moment is being their actions are being delighted in it's more of this energy of delight towards the functioning of humanity as god and wisdom look together at how the world is working and laughing about enjoy about like, like I think of it as like a parent, when I think about that childish energy, like, you know, when you're like, oh my gosh, look at my, they just figured that out. Like, like, like maybe thinking about God delighting in things like the invention of the computer. Oh my goodness. Look at what they just figured out how to make. <laughs> I wonder what that's going to do for them. Right. There's sort of a, there's a certain type of rejoicing in that. Maybe it's a bad yeah. example. I don't know if well, God I like, rejoiced. I, I like the idea of the general delight and almost like fascination and, and, and excitement around humanity. I like the, I I like, I even like the idea that God delights over every person as opposed to every action. Right. Cause like I, I, even the person that does the worst thing in the world, the fact that God delights over them tells me that there's hope for like reconciliation and redemption for all, all people. And I, and I have to hold that belief, right? I want, I want, I, I need to hold that belief. Um, because if I can't hold it for someone else, then I shouldn't hold it for myself. And so I love the idea of God delighting over each person, but not every action. I like God being generally a God who delights over creation and the way that it has the ability to flourish and to thrive and to, hum along um i mean it, it's not the first thing that pops into my head when i think of what god is probably doing when looking upon creation um but but i but i like that it's there um i think that's really a beautiful reframe in a way it kind of almost makes attention with our conversation around you will know a tree by its fruit mm-hmm. <laughs> right in some way there's a little bit of like oh do I know what kind of fruit this tree is supposed to produce versus looking for mass production or mm. I think there's a tension as well. Um, probably because I work with folks who are incarcerated. So like there's a reoccurring mantra of like, you are not the worst thing you've ever done. Mm-hmm. That that's just, you're not, have you done something horrible? Okay. Yeah but that doesn't have to be the thing that defines you for forever. There's ways to move forward. There's your tree can still have fruit. And sometimes it, yeah, well, we have an idea of what fruit should look like, right? Like we want the perfect apple. Well, most apple trees have some shit apples. They're not a hundred percent like killing, like there's worms or stuff like, right. There's seasons. (laughs) There's times. Yeah. I don't know. I, there's, I have to like free up then that, that conversation to allow. I think every human is worthy of being delighted over. Mm. And sometimes maybe it's harder than others but there's something there, right? God, there's gotta be something good in all of us. There's gotta be more. I don't know. Well, and, and to take that metaphor even further, like 
the John 15, the vine and the branches, like pruning the branches is a necessary part of the production of the fruit. Like you don't get the good fruit without pruning some of the areas that are unproductive or unhealthy. And, and so as we think about being human, yeah, I'm going to produce some shit fruit. So please prune away, right? Call out the blind spots, name them, find out what needs to, what habits and patterns and decisions and thinking needs to change in order for the fruit to actually be not the perfect apple, but like one that's edible and helpful, right? And not that I can produce the largest quantity of apples because that's where I get my worth, but by the very fact that I can create an apple or I can be an apple, it like that's the whole point, right? That we can flourish together. And some people are planted in a drought, hmm. right? Like also that all plays into what we can sometimes, some of us get a freaking drought and start. Like I have a fig, little fig plant. No, what is it? No, yeah, fig tree, whatever. Whatever. I'll fiddle leaf, whatever. <laughs> I got it from Costco. <laughs> Back by the freezer section and she wasn't looking real good. She's got lots of little brown spots. And it's going to take a minute to for them to move on and to get some new leaves going. And I, as we think about this fruit and this delighting, I want to just play and we've been talking about God delighting the, the, it almost sounds more like it's wisdom that's doing the delighting here and not that it's inappropriate. Like, like there's other places that talk about God delighting in us like Zephaniah three, and it seems like they're delighting together, but I'm more, I'm actually more struck by the fact that it's wisdom that's delighting because I think of wisdom as such a serious thing. I think of wisdom as like you go on a rich, a silent retreat up in the mountains in order to like contemplate all that you've done wrong in the world and like whatever thing. And here wisdom is playful and it's laughing. And that to me, I mean, I had this experience writing um, as this is being released. I'm still in the process. This podcast is being released. My um, I have a book coming out this coming June. And I had this experience writing this book where it's, it's an Enneagram book. So it's like my other hat than 40 orchards, but I feel like I had this energy of the wisdom of the delight and laughing of wisdom that I'm going to like, hopefully tell as a short story where the book is full of metaphors that are like looking at things that are in the earth and their connection to humanity. And I would, and I would, but it was really layered metaphors where I was trying to kind of get everything to fit like a puzzle. And so sometimes I just couldn't quite find the right metaphor but then sometimes something would like pop and it would feel like, oh, maybe it's that. And I would start researching the thing and it would fit better than I ever could have known inside of myself. And I would start laughing because there was no way that I could have known that the thing would fit as a metaphor as well as it fit consciously. It felt more like this wisdom of the earth that I caught that I didn't even know how right it was until I learned more. And it was such a delightful energy to feel like I was catching that wisdom or catching that seeing instead of like having to conjure up all the creativity. And there were just certain parts of the book that surprised me and still surprised me. I had someone proofread it who um, is an Enneagram type two. And he, and one of my metaphors for that type is a horsetail, which is a very specific plant. It was a metaphor for a specific reason. And he left me a note of how much he has always loved horsetail plants his entire life and has known the scientific name of a horsetail plant since he was six years old. And every time he sees horsetails, he plays with them and like breaks them apart. There is no way that I could have known that when I wrote that, right? And so there's just a laugh. I read that note and I laughed. I was like, of course. Like, how did that happen? I have no explanation for how that happened. And it's delightful. Mm. And it makes me laugh. And there's a type of wisdom that is like that. I'm like, how on earth did that happen? Huh, mm. amazing. And I wonder if we caught more of that, how that would affect how we lived and treated others, if we would just find a little more of that delight of, huh, <laughs> look at that. That worked out. That fit. Well, again, it it emphasizes the personification of wisdom to be outside of us and not just inside of us. Because everything that you framed 
was that when I did this research, when I had this conversation, it was a, it was an experience outside of what was internally already baked into you that brought about the delight. And too often we look in inward for wisdom as opposed to partnering with wisdom or recognizing wisdom when it comes along. And, and then too often we say, well, how can I harness that and use it for my benefit to get me ahead <laughs> in the world as opposed to just being like, holy crap, that's just cool. Um, uh, or man, I'm so glad you said that. Can you say it again? And can I give you credit? Um, yeah. Which maybe that, again, is emphasizing that relational dynamic to this whole thing, that if we're in relationship with wisdom, maybe part of that is being in relationship with each other. And then really having wisdom reside in this relational space where I'm not on a mountain by myself. I'm with God and with humans I'm with. And I'm delighting in the wisdom that's there. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a different takeaway. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I just am sitting with it because it's also a little bit different for myself. I, I wonder if it is that I know I'm wise when I can also know that I was God's delight day after day. Mm. And that I'm having fun, I'm playing, I'm delighting um, in God's presence continually. Mm. That, that I'm rejoicing in the whole world, that I'm delighting over humanity. Like that's mm-hmm. actually, that's how I know that I've got the wisdom. I know where the wisdom is, I know what's happening. I, like I can engage with it. Mm. Yeah, am I paying attention to when that's happening? This podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. 40 Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a 40 Orchards study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that. Process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on Searching Safety.